going to introduce uh, shortly uh, our speaker. Uh, this is Think, uh, and she's um, part of this awesome movement called the School of Prophets, and uh, she's brought in her friends as well from Stairway Church. Welcome. So yeah, I'm sure we all be blessed by uh, the Word of God today. Thank you, Cornelius. Good morning, everyone. Are we feeling good? Awesome. I, I'm kind of congested, so bear with me. I sound kind of funny. I usually sound not like this. So, I'm Tink. Uh, I brought my two white friends with me. Woo! <laughs> They're very honored to be here. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, I thought that I'd tell you guys a little bit more about me so that it's not just a random Asian coming up to speak to you. So, um, my name is Tink. Uh, my husband, Sam, uh, and I moved to Australia in 2015. So we moved in July 2015 to work for Gary and Sarah Morgan. I don't know if anyone knows who they are, but um, they are the founders of School Profits. And in 2015, we helped them um, build the school. And we've been here since, and now we're a part of Stairway Church. Um, we do this movement called Atlas. That's a, It's like a worship night for young adults, and that's how we got connected with you guys. Um, during worship, I was asking the Lord, you know, what he was feeling for today. And I just heard the Lord say that this is an amazing group of people and that you guys, I feel like there's the, the level of servant heartedness is like on another level here and that you guys welcome the presence, you welcome the spirit, but more so you welcome family and community, um, more than most churches. And so I just feel the Lord wanting to honor you in that. And that today, my prayer is that you would walk out of here knowing the heart of God to, to serve you in a new way. So you guys are, you obviously have the understanding of servanthood. You obviously have the understanding of we are family. We are a family of God. And now I feel like the Lord wants to promote your level of thinking and how he serves you. Is that okay? Awesome. So the title, I guess, of my sermon to make it sound cool, was the key to personal revival. The key to personal revival, and I mean, that sounds really holy and cool, but I'm going to try to make it a little bit more simpler. Um, <clears throat> so when I hear revival, I imagine people getting healed. I imagine, um, you know, crazy amounts of people coming to a gathering. Is that what you think of when you hear revival? Cricket, cricket, none. Okay. So when I hear revival, I think of this huge movement of God. And when I think of personal revival, I'm like, okay, what does that look like? Does that mean me always having encounters with God and they're crazy and they're amazing? Or does it look something more like solitude? What, what does that look like? And so we'll get really, um, what's it called? Smart. And here's the definition of revival. It's an improvement in the condition, strength, or fortunes of someone or something. So when you look at those words specifically, condition, strength, and fortunes. Condition is the circumstances or factors affecting the way in which people live or work, especially with regard to their well-being. So it's your well-being being improved. Who wants a, a, an improved well-being? Five of us. Awesome. Um, in your strength, it's the quality or state of being physically strong. So your, your, your physical body will be improved. Who wants a, a, an improved physical body? Two of us. Awesome. And <laughs> yes, yes. And fortunes, that's basically chance or luck or an arbitrary affecting human affairs. So this is like your finances. 
I want to see improved finances, yeah? Do we want to see improved finances? So do we all agree that it would be really awesome to live in personal revival? Yeah. So what is the key to personal revival? Well, I believe it's the Father's heart. And I, I truly believe that this is one of the most important revelations that we can do as Christians, that we can have as Christians. This is the place to live from. And I think that it's amazing that Cornelius was talking about adoption this morning. And I was just like, whoa, God, this is so cool because it's lining up with what I really feel in my heart today is to unpack what it looks like to be adopted by the Father. And, you know, we have, we, we can have encounters with God. We can have revelations with God. But until we have a real revelation of the Father, I don't think personal revival is actually possible. So can we just pray together? Is that all right? So, Father, we just thank you for today. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and pour out a new revelation in this room. Father, that you would just blow your presence on this place. That every single person in this room today would encounter a new version of you. A new revelation of who you are, Father. I pray that you would come and speak individually to each person, and that we would be able to, to tangibly feel your presence, that we'd be able to tangibly feel your love and encounter the goodness of who you are, the kindness of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There was one year in 2013 that I heard teachings on the Father, I, I believe I counted, it was 24 times in a year that I heard 24 sermons that were about the Father's heart. And every time I was sitting there, I was like, oh, of course, we're speaking about the Father again. I know this. Run it again, right? But every time I was left bawling by the end because I don't think we can hear it enough. I don't think we can hear it enough about the Father's love and the purpose of the Father's love because it just keeps going deeper. If our God is omnipresent, omniscient, omniscient, omnipotent okay he's all of those things yet we think that he's he like we can understand him up to here you know we we put him in a box sometimes without knowing and I just I challenge you and I encourage you to want to understand him in a new way today because there's only so much you can learn in one sitting and it just keeps going deeper and deeper <clears throat> I know that that's what it was like for me so the father's heart what would you say is the foundation of Christian faith? Well, mostly, most people would say that it's Jesus, the cross of Jesus, yes? Would you say that? Absolutely. We believe that Jesus is the way. He is the foundation. And we all know this verse, John 3, 16. Let's all say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So this is like the foundation of Christian faith. And we look at it and we're like, yeah, God gave his son. But the foundation is actually the first four words, for God so loved. That's the foundation of Christian faith. The father loved us so much. It was his love that compelled him to send his son to come and save us. So we, we, we always get um, caught on the fact that God, that Jesus died for us. But why did he die for us? He died for us because our father loved us so much that he was like, how can I reconcile us? Just like Cornelius was saying, how can I bring my, my kids back to me? How can I reconcile our relationship? 
The only way was to send his son. So we always say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, he's the way, but the way to where, that's what we always ask. But more importantly, who is he the way to? The way that I see it is Jesus is like our lifeguard that comes and saves us. But when a lifeguard goes and saves a child, where does he bring them to? Back to their parents, right? Jesus is our lifeguard. He came here to make a way so that we could be reconciled to our father. He came and he paid that price. In 1 John 3.1, it says, See what a great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. In the next verse, it says, The reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Isn't it funny how we can be so close to God, we can be so close to the Father, yet still not know him? Even Jesus said that one day some of us are going to approach him at the gates and he's going to say, I never knew you. And we're like, but we did all these miracles. We went to church every day, God. We served on the worship team. We were on the prayer team. We healed people. And God's like, I never knew you. You know, you can be so close to people. You can know everything about a person yet still not know them. Before I was with my husband, um, I used to stalk him. So that sounds really crazy. <laughs> it was. And um, we had this thing called MySpace. Did anyone have MySpace? Yeah, MySpace or like Zanga, like all the old school things. So um, we had this thing called MySpace. And before we were together, I used to stalk him because MySpace. And I was like, I'm going to know everything about him. So I knew all of the bands he liked. I knew all the movies that he liked. Um, I knew you know, like where he grew up. I knew all the details that you could find on MySpace. And I would tell people like, oh yeah, he's so cool. Like he likes Radiohead. He likes this, he likes that. I'm like, oh my God, he's so cool. And I really thought that I knew him, right? But it wasn't until we started dating and we started having face-to-face -face conversations about why he liked Radiohead, why he liked some of the lyrics. Why did he like Star Wars? Where was he when he first saw Star Wars? And why is that scene so important to him? And the more that I got to know the details of why he liked these, these things, why, I, why he was the way that he was, it just made me fall more in love with him. And the point that I'm trying to make is that you can know all about God. You can read the Bible from front to back. But until you really know him face to face, until you spend time with him, you'll never know. You'll never know him. And, you know, I know that all of us long for that feeling of, I want to feel in love with God, right? You, sometimes you enter worship services and you're just like, I'm just not feeling it today. Yeah? Is that just me? Cool, cool, cool. Um, you know, sometimes I'll enter worship services and I'm just like, oh, I don't feel it today. Or I just feel so far from God. But when you really understand the Father's love and when you really know him face to face and you, you, you know that you know that he's in love with you, there's nothing that could come in between you. There's no question. And, and that's what I feel is the, the key to personal revival is, is living in complete unity, complete intimacy with the Father. So why is it so important to know the Father? Well, again, if Christ is in us, let's go back to Jesus. Jesus came here to set an example of how to live on this earth, right? Jesus, it says that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. So if we are one with Christ, look to your neighbor and say, you are one with Christ. So you are one with Christ. All of us, we are co-heirs with him. Well, when Jesus was here, all he ever talked about was the Father. 
All he ever talked about was, I want to go away and be with my father. I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I see the father saying. Like all he ever did was live in communion with the father. In the Old Testament, the word father is used 15 times in reference to God. In the New Testament, the word father is used 245 times in reference to God. In Jesus's last conversation alone, the word father is used 50 times. So I'd say that father's pretty important. Yeah? How different would you, your life look like if you lived every minute knowing that you were loved by the father? How different would it look? Let's turn to Luke 15, 11, 32. The parable of the lost son. Are we all there? I'm going to read about what the father is like. How many sons are in this story? Two, really? Ooh, trick question. Yes, there are two sons in the story, but there's a third son, which is the son, the perfect son, who's telling us the story. So that's a really important key to remember is that Jesus, remember, he came here to show us what it was like to live as sons and daughters on this earth. So Jesus, the father's son, came to tell us how to be a son. And this is, this is how he's explaining the father. So Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now I'm going to pause right there. Back in the day, when a son was to receive his inheritance, it means that the father died. So what that son is saying to his dad is, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. Isn't that crazy? Could you imagine doing that in an Asian home? My God, you'd be kicked out of your house in like a second. So he's like, dad, you're, you're dead to me. Give me all of my money. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So he moved all the way across the world. It'd be like moving as far as we did from America to Australia. You know, he was like, so for me, I'm looking at the story and I'm like, what did this son, ha like what happened between this son and this father? Because he must hate him. So he obviously doesn't believe that his father loves him. So that's why he's saying, you're dead to me. Give me my money. And now I'm going to go as far away as possible from you. <clears throat> After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now there's something that I, I think is so significant about this, because he moved as far away from the father that he could. And it's funny how things that definitely are not attractive become attractive and desirable the further away you are from the, your father. Isn't that interesting? He's like so far away, so far gone that he's like, you know what? Pig's food sounds awesome. I'll, I'll eat pig's food. I'll eat pig's poop. Let me sleep with the pigs. That's not how a son should live. Yet he thinks because he's so far away that, that that's actually what he deserves. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Raise your hand if you've ever rehearsed an apology. No one. Me. <laughs> 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Why is it so important that he was still a long way off? What does that mean? It means the father was looking for him. We don't know how long the son was gone. We don't know how far away he was when he was coming and running, but it means that the father was always looking and waiting to see when his son would return. He was filled with compassion for him, so he ran to his son, threw his, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, started telling his rehearsed speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted him and said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. No matter what you've done, the father literally doesn't care. He doesn't care what you've done in the past. He doesn't care about what you're doing now. He just wants you to be with him. And in this verse, it's so funny because his son has this rehearsed speech. He comes to the father, sits at his feet, and he's like begging for mercy. And he's not, the father's not even listening. He's like, put the best robe on him. The robe is represented. It's, it's the father's robe that he's putting on him. He says, put a ring on his finger. That's like giving him the family credit card. The son could go to any store back then or any shop back then and show his ring and he could get whatever he wanted. And he put sandals on his feet because back then slaves were barefoot, but sons wore shoes. So he was making a statement about his son saying, I don't care about what you've done. You're home. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. Raise your hand if you've ever felt that injustice, that someone else is getting mercy when you've been serving the whole time. Cool. Two of us. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And that's, what, that's one of the things I love about this, this whole chapter is that the elder son was angry and he didn't even feel like he could approach the father about it. But what did the father do? The father went to him. The father left that party to go and talk to his other son. That's how kind he is, is that even when we're throwing a, a tantrum, even when we're throwing a fit, the father's still willing to come over to us. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with, a prosti with prostitutes comes home, you fill the, the fattened calf for him. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. Again, this is Jesus the father's son telling us what his father is like. Now, it's really easy to hear this, this chapter and think, I've heard this before. I know this story. But when it's applied to your own life or when you hear someone else's testimony, sometimes it helps. And so I'm going to tell you guys my story. Is that okay? So I'm just going to tell you my whole life story and how I encountered the father. Um, I grew up, I'm originally from Houston, Texas, where Beyonce is from. And um, I, I true story, her, her mom's barbershop was like maybe 10 minutes from our house. So it was pretty cool. 
Um, so I originally grew up in Houston, and I grew up Catholic. So my life was always going to Mass every Sunday. And for me, my understanding of God, I've never questioned whether God was real. I've always believed God was real. But it's funny because your experiences, your love experience, how you've experienced love, how you've experienced um, leadership, all of that stuff can be projected onto God. Did you know that? So it's like we have these filters that we just see God through. And so my, gro my upbringing was going to Mass every Sunday so that I could repent for my sins because God was, you know, God was amazing and he was always watching over me. And so my understanding of God was like a cop in the sky. But I didn't necessarily think that. I just always thought God is so big and he's always watching me. So anything that I'm doing wrong, he sees. I need to go repent. So my life with God was always like, God, I love you. I love you. I made a mistake. Oh, I don't deserve to be around you anymore. Repents for sins. Okay, comes back. God, I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh, I did something bad again. Repents, repents, comes over here. And then comes back, goes to confession. Oh, I can be in your presence again. So my relationship was, with God was based on the things that I've done or based on the purity of my life. Does that make sense? So I grew up um, going to Catholic church and, you know, that was my life for a long time. When I was 14, I got saved in a black gospel church. You know, you see them in movies when they have like tambourines and they're dancing. That's what I got saved in. It was awesome. And so you know, I went from going to mass, which was really like boring, hear my heart. It was like, you just sit there and there's no music or anything. And then I went to this gospel church where they're sweating and they're singing and they're talking in tongues, which was crazy. It was like, da -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da. I was like, what are they doing? <laughs> they're talking like children. Um, and so I went to this gospel church and I received my first prophetic word. Raise your hand if you know what a prophetic word is. Okay. That's not everyone. So I'm going to explain it. So a prophetic word is someone um, just asking God, God, what do you want to say to this person? And they listen to what God's saying, and then they share what they're hearing with the person. And so on that day, I received a prophetic word where this, this woman preacher, which was already weird, called me up to the front, and she said, young lady, come up to the front, and basically read my mail, told me things that only God could know. And one of the things that she said was, young lady, you're going to have to grow up really fast. And but I want you to know that God's going to create a covenant with you. And it's a covenant that is going to get you through what you're going through. And it's going to excel you because you're going to speak to nations. And so that was what she told me when I was 14. Did I understand that? No. Was I crying? Yes. <laughs> uh, I was weeping. And I was like, I remember feeling like the, the heat and the presence of God. And that was the day that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But even when you're saved, you can still not have an understanding with God, right? You can still not understand that you're a daughter. And so I was saved, yet I was still, you know, living a crazy life and also going to church on Sundays and then, you know, like partying and doing things that God wouldn't be proud of and then repenting and still going to church. So my understanding of God was still the same. Um, my parents are Filipino, and so my life was kind of like I had to grow up really fast where their English wasn't that great. So I was always having to speak English for them. And, um, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money. My dad kept losing his job. And so my mom was the one that made the money. And my home life was really stressful a lot. And my sister was kind of wild and crazy and she was always going out. So I was the younger sister that was always trying to do the right thing. So when I did mess up, it felt even more stressful. Raise your hand if you relate to that. It's okay if not. Cool, cool, cool. Four of us. Awesome. Um, when I was 16, I was getting ready to go to a school dance. 
And um, as I was getting ready to go to the school dance, my um, my dad came in and he was like, hey, um, my back kind of hurts. And my dad never got sick. And so I was just like, me and my mom were like, oh, we'll just go lay down for a little bit. It'll be fine, you know. And um, later that day, like my dad started to get really dizzy. And my mom came up to me in my room with my friends and she was like, hey, um, your dad's really not feeling well. We need to take him to the emergency room. And I was like, oh, okay. So I told my friends, hey guys, um, I need to go to the hospital um, on, the way to the, on the way to the dance. Do you guys mind coming with us? And so they're getting ready. I go out into the living room and my dad looks at me and he had lost his sight. So he like couldn't see anymore. And he was like, baby, come here. And I, so I went over to my dad and he said, baby, can you hold me? And I was like, yeah. And in that moment, I knew like, oh, gosh, he's not OK. And so I sat on the couch and I held my dad. And those were the last words that my dad ever said to me, because that afternoon he actually passed um, right in front of us in the driveway. We didn't even make it to the hospital. So the ambulance didn't even make it on time. And so that day, my whole life took a whole one, 180 where I was just like, God's not real. You know, I remember going to the hospital and praying like when he was in the emergency room, even though he had already passed. I just remember praying with all that I had. You know, when you pray with all that you have. And I was like, he is not going to die in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I command healing. I command life. And then like two seconds later, the doctor came out and they were like, sorry, guys, he didn't make it. And so for me, everything changed in that moment where I was like, God's not good. God's not kind. And. Or And then I also went to, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I wasn't praying enough. Maybe, maybe I didn't pray hard enough. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And you just go back and forth in these questionings of, of what, what went wrong. And so from there, my choice was, am I going to continue to be a Christian or not? And I chose to continue to be a Christian. I was like, you know what? God is good. God is good, even though I was stuffing my emotions down. And so I stuffed my emotions down and I kept going to church. But as I stuffed my emotions down, I got more angry with God. And so I became this person that was constantly hiding the bad life. So I was hiding my bad life and living my Christian life. At that point, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where I met my husband. And um, I was in youth group. And when I moved to Nashville, I was like, I'm going to start over. I'm going to get my life together because God is good. You know, you can say all these things. God, God's good. God's amazing. Yet in my heart, I really didn't believe it. Um, so I went to church. There, I got involved in every ministry possible. I was in children's ministry, worship ministry. Um, I was serving on the prayer team. I was, I was in kids' church. I was the, like, the token Christian kid that everyone loved. You know, like that crazy girl that was just like, I love Jesus. I love God. And that was me. But amidst all of that, I just kept living a secret life. I had this secret life because I didn't feel good in my Christian life. You know, you can serve in the church. You can serve God. I mean, I say that God, but he, you were serving God. I, I was serving God, but feeling so depressed and angry, but avoiding those feelings. And how I felt good was going and living a secret life. When I was 18, me and my best friend began to experiment sexually. And we ended up falling into this deep sexual relationship that was hidden. Her and I taught on the dance team together. And we didn't tell anyone. The dance team at church, we were both Christians. And we hid this from everyone because we were like, no one can know, no one can know. And we had this secret life that was so happy and it felt so great. But then I still lived my Christian life. And I was like, I can't, I have to keep straddling the two because God will never accept me if he knew what I did. 
And I kept trying to run from this life. I kept trying to run from this life and get clean. Every time I was like, no, I need to, I need to confess. I need to confess. We need to be done. We need to be done. But until you have that revelation, you're just going to keep running. And it's never going to land. Like, you're never going to actually know where you're going. And so, for me, I was just getting more and more depressed and straddling this life of being the perfect Christian and hiding my secret life. So I was living a double life. And when I got to 19 or 20 was when I had this encounter with God where I was living in, I was on my living room floor um, listening to this worship song. And I remember screaming at God where I was like saying, it was like almost like this building up had happened. And I just started like, it was almost like the cap flew off and I just let everything go where I was like, I hate you. (laughs) I hate you, God. I'm so angry. Why did you kill my dad? Why am I am the way that I am? You know, why am I in this sexual relationship? Why am I hiding my life? Why are you so good? They say, yet it's so hard to live for you. Why would I even want to live for you? It's too hard to be a Christian. And I was ready to let it all go in that moment where I was like, I'm done trying. I'm ready to to just lose everything because that's what I thought. If I told everyone what I'd done, no one would accept me. And in that moment, I just laid it all down and I heard the whisper of God come. And he said, if you come clean, I'll never leave you. And I remember thinking in that moment, oh, this is what it means to be like reconciled with God. This is what it means to give my life back to him. And in that moment, I remember thinking, if I come clean, I'll lose everything, but at least I'll have the Lord with me. At least I'll have the Father with me. And so for me, I'm a very action-oriented person. So I immediately came clean to everyone. I told my family, who I really thought would disown me. I mean, Asians, guys, come on. You know, you tell them anything and then just like, what? So I told my mom everything that I had done. I told my sister, my my brother-in-law, I told everyone everything that I'd been doing for the last few years. Years, guys. Years of living in secret. I told the church, and I lost a lot. I lost a lot, but my heart came alive knowing that I had a father who loved me no matter what I've done. All of a sudden, I went from lost to being found, and it's really hard to put into words because I can't explain to you what happened to me. All I can explain is how I felt, and for the first time, I felt safe. For the first time, I didn't feel like I had to hide what I was doing, and when I came clean, to the world when everyone knew everything, when I had nothing else to hide and I was fully loved by God, it made it easier to make choices that I wanted to before. Does that make sense? When you know that God is for you, it becomes a get to, not a have to. I didn't feel like I had to be a good Christian. I wanted to be a good Christian. You know, the word fear in the Bible is this, it's a Hebrew word called yare, which means the reverence. You're in awe of the reverence of God. But I used to live in a place of fear of God, where I thought God was going to punish me. I always thought God was going to punish me for my life. But I moved from punishment to reverence, where I was like, God, you so kindly give me mercy that I don't need to live this secret life anymore, that you offer me something better. And so for me, the Father's heart revelation, I believe, is the key to personal revival because When you know that you're loved, that's when all of your choices change. That's when all of your understanding changes. I'm going to show you guys a picture of John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office in America. The Oval Office is the most protected room in all of America. You can't even get on the lawn 
or on the grass, I don't know what you guys say, on the grass of the White House without like having 60 or 70 people approaching you. It's the most protected room in all of America, yet this young boy gets to be in this room. Why? Because he's a son. Because he belongs to John F. Kennedy. And this was one of the biggest revelations that God showed me was like, you don't have to earn your way into the kingdom. It just belongs to you. It's your inheritance. It's what I've, it's what I've made you to be. Yet we live in this place of, I need to understand. I need to get there. I need to strive. We think it's from A to B. But God doesn't need us to make a journey. He just needs us to be with him. <clears throat> I just want to move into a time of ministry. If you guys mind, if you don't mind, just closing your eyes. You might be here today and you've always longed to feel the love of God in a way that you never have. Or maybe you're here and you feel like there are things about you that not everyone knows or there's things that if everyone knew this, if God knew this, he wouldn't be able to look at me the same. Maybe you're in here and you feel like you've done everything you can to get there. You've served, you've, you've done everything you can to receive that love of God, that tangible love of God. And you just don't know what you're doing wrong. You don't know how to, how to feel it. But Father, we just invite you to come right now and, and to love on people here today. Lord, that you would show and reveal your heart. Sometimes it looks like doing nothing and just sitting in God's presence. I just hear the Father saying that you're worth it. And I hear him saying, I'm sorry for the things that you've been through, the things that you've seen. And I feel like he just, he wants to bless some people today. If you, if you have any relationships in your family or extended family that need reconciliation or there's tension or or broken relationships in your family I just want you to stand and we're gonna we're gonna pray over that there's no shame or anything here this is this is this is all for the kingdom of God we're gonna bring restoration and reconciliation and we are celebrating that reconciliation component as a family together so if you're around any of these people and even if you're not standing and you feel like you have that, just believe for it with, with us. Even if you're not standing, that's okay. Just stretch your hands to these people. If you're near them, just put a hand on the shoulder, somewhere appropriate. And let's just pray together. Father, we just thank you that you sent your son for reconciliation. Lord, I thank you for every person that's standing here today, standing and making a statement knowing that you and your power can reconcile. That it's in your kindness, in your loving kindness, that you can bring restoration to families, areas of brokenness. I just break any word curses that have been spoken over people in this room, any, any curses, any threats, any, um, I just see like withholding, like people withholding things because, um, because they're, not, they're not getting something that they need. Lord, I just break that. I break that control. And Lord, I just um, I just speak peace over the families in this house. I just speak um, 
Yeah, I speak life, peace. And Father, I just pray for um, the kindness to just to flow into these people's lives. Lord, that you would bring the right words, Lord, that you'd give these people wisdom, that you'd give them wisdom to know how to how to manage these situations, and that you would just bring a supernatural reconciliation in relationships that, that we might feel will never be reconciled. Lord, I pray for supernatural reconciliation. Lord, I, I thank you that your, your power is much bigger than we could ever comprehend. And Lord, I just pray that in any areas that any, any areas, any family relatives that may feel so far, Lord, I just, I see you calling them back. And Lord, would you just prepare our hearts to welcome them back? And Lord, I just, I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace and that you can bring healing to any pain that's been caused by these relationships. I just pray that you'd come and heal any brokenness and any hurt. So, Father, we just thank you for your kindness, your love, and, Lord, I just bless everyone here to receive your love in a fresh wind. And I thank you for the healing that resides in your name. We magnify your name today, God. In Jesus' name, amen.